0: Well, hey, this is Jason Smithers, and welcome to the Unfinished Life podcast. This is part two of my interview with author, speaker, and poet Josh Reebok. On part two, we're going to get into more of the writing process, how he feels about being relational versus social, and how he'll know exactly what Mario Kart character you'll pick. So here's part two with Josh Reebok. So I remember uh, in one of your episodes on the marrow, you talk about that you don't you don't really outline um, and. A lot of my audience, I would say, the all five people <laughs> that have my audience, uh, are, are the people I'm targeting are the people that um, want to accomplish something big, like writing a book or um, just a, a bigger project that's kind of, they feel um, a little intimidated to, to tackle. And I yeah. know a lot of people will ask, you know, how do I start writing a book? And I know, I, you know, I don't want to set you up to say, how do you do it? And that's going to be how everybody should do it. But what is your approach to get to yeah. finished?
1: Yeah, uh, you're right. I I don't outline. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure years from now, I'll probably look back and see that I'm just wanting to stick it to the man, you know, <laughs> so, somehow that's probably true too. Um, but I've just never done my best work that way. Um, and I, I envy people who have the foresight to go, this is what it is. And they know that even in a skeletal way from the outset, um, I've never effectively worked that way. Um and if I worked only on outline, I would never actually write. Hmm. It takes me kind of being immersed in the project for a while before it really starts to take shape. So even um like I'm 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 almost done with a, a new book now. I'm, I'm finishing it. Um and I uh I started and I went, well, I know it's generally about someone like this. I know they generally live in a city like this, and I know they're generally going to have a couple characters like this. And then I just – I literally just sit down, and I just start writing, and it's terrible. And I mean it's horrific. But for me, um, I spent – I hate writing first drafts more than anything. I enjoy the process. Some, some people, um, you know, they, they talk about writers. They say as a writer, there, there's three main skills you need to have. You got to be able to write. You got to be able to edit. You got to be able to market and then they typically say most writers only have one, maybe two of those skills. But you got, it's great if you have all three. But for me, I, I actually um, enjoy the editing process because that's when it becomes more word specific. Um, and I enjoy language. I enjoy the poetry of it. Um, and in first drafts, you have to kind of forsake all that or you'll never get a first draft. Mm-hmm. So the first draft for me um, is just it, – it's basically just a word dump. I'm just getting something on paper so that I can sculpt it later. Like, I mean, you know, there's endless analogies. But for me, the analogy of building a house works. The first draft is concrete and two by fours. That's it. So we're not going to sit here and talk about, you know, kitchen fixtures and wallpaper and furnishing. That's like the words. Um, so, So even to pay attention to that at the beginning, for me... If I'm you know, spending those early pages working on sentences, exact sentences, none of those sentences are probably even going to be there at the end anyway. So I just have to kind of grin and bear it, set aside all my vanity, and then just get something down so that I can shape it. Typically, first drafts for me go the fastest because of that. Um, but my lack of outlining then means the revisions are massive. So for someone who works in an outline, they, they have less back-end work to do. Um, but I have less front end work to do. So it's all just kind of like it, it, it all evens out in the end. But, but one of the things I love about not outlining is um, then I feel for me, I feel I op- operate a little more optimally because then it, it, it kind of um, no detours off limits, I guess. Mm-hmm. I can kind of go where my instincts take me. Um, and I and I don't I don't feel like I'm already trying to get people to one place by the end. Like I think even with-
0: something that um, stops a lot of people because they're trying to perfect that first draft. I yeah. remember reading uh, Anne Lamott's book uh, Bird by Bird, and she says just get through it. Like all you're yeah. doing for the first draft is just get through it, and yeah. then you know go back and start editing. Yeah. Because if we start self-editing on that first draft, it's, we're just going to wreck ourselves.
1: Yeah, I I think it's extremely discouraging for one. You're right. It's like I, I'll read first drafts or second or third or fourth drafts of mine. I'm like, this is bad. Like, this isn't good. The problem is though, is that as writers, we don't, we never see any finalized books draft. We never see it. And so we are inherently comparing our first, second, third drafts to finalized work. And so it's always gonna seem worse. We're always gonna feel inferior in that equation. And so I, I have to kind of, you know, compartmentalize and willingly reject any comparison. But also I I mean I, I I use the phrase I have to write without conscience. I can't I can't allow my conscience to tell me this sentence is bad, that doesn't make sense, this character wouldn't do this at that like I just have to, like, like Anne Lamott says, I have to just get through it so that, I have some, like, so that I have not only something to shape, but so then even for me, it's once I get through a first draft and I go, "What am I, what's coming out of me? And I start to look for themes and patterns and go, I think this is maybe what I'm writing about. Like for me, um, it takes almost three full drafts before I even know what a book is about. Like, I, I remember sitting at, at a marketing meeting for Heroes and Monsters, and we were in the beginning of the fourth draft. And they're like, and, and, <laughs> and they're like, you know, it's all these people in suits, and we're at this nice restaurant, and we're looking out on the ducks on the water. And they're like, so what do you think this book is about? And I laughed, um, which was probably not the best response. And I looked at them, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, I, I really thought you guys were going to tell me what it was about. It's like, I'm not even kidding. I'm like, I don't know what it's about. But like for, for me, it takes me a while before I go, I get what I'm saying, but what am, I, what am I saying? But for me, it takes just being monogamous and immersed in that project for a long time before I can really understand it, articulate it. And then make decisions that are congruent with whatever those themes and purposes are. But I don't know those things at the outset. Mm -hmm. I never know those things at the outset. Like, even with Heroes and Monsters, like, you know, at the beginning, I was like, I don't know, I'm just going to write these things and we'll see what themes become reoccurring. And then that's what it's about.
0: There's something um, I hope people don't misunderstand is when you say you don't. Uh, Outline it doesn't mean you're not methodical. So I remember you saying one of your podcasts that you have the same routine all the time. Yeah, Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, Uh, for for me, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't outline, um, but but I'm very ritualistic. I get up at the same time every day um, uh, on a work day, and I, I uh, when I'm not traveling, that is when I'm when I'm writing. Um, I get up the same time every day, I eat the same breakfast, I have the same coffee in the same mug with a J on it, it's chip that I got you know, as a $4 wedding gift or whatever it is. Um, and then I, I write and read um, for the next three or four hours, I eat the exact same lunch every day. I work until the exact same time every day, generally, it's between six and seven I stop and then I exercise and that's my day, every single day. And so to me, though, there isn't an outline necessarily to a project. There is a very, very strong structure to my day every day, um, because that's that's how I have learned um, and I continue to refine it. But that's how I've learned to maximize um, my productivity on a daily basis. I don't know. It's, it's funny because the, um, you know, the mentality of vocational artists is, is kind of like. Well, they they can't hold a steady job, or you know, they're so scatterbrained, or whatever. And a lot of that's true, but the vast majority—I mean, the vast majority of people I know that are vocational artists, whether that be as um, you know writers or or musicians or filmmakers—they're extremely disciplined with their craft. So they may be scatterbrained, but they are very regimented, and they have put in place a certain anatomy to their day and to their calendar and to their week so that their craft can thrive. Um, And so, yeah, though I don't do the outline portion, I mean, you know, it's for me, I'm Bill Murray in Groundhog Day every day when it comes to my work. I, I sit at the same place every single day. Like I don't go to coffee shops. I don't do cafes. I don't go to the park. It's like, I need the silence. I need my spot. And part of what that does for me is, is it trims out um, any wasted energy. Like part of the reason I eat the same breakfast, the same lunch, exercise the same day, sit in the same place, is then in the course of a day when I'm trying to leverage all of my mental and emotional energy toward the project, I'm not stewarding any of that energy towards what am I going to eat for lunch. I don't ask that question. I don't think, well, where should I go work today? I don't think, well, once I get into the coffee shop, is there going to be an outlet? Like I don't have to think about any of that. So I feel like all of my energy can be harnessed into whatever it is I'm attempting to accomplish um, in that particular day.
0: Did that start as a natural thing for you or did it feel weird to try to get into a routine? um, Like did you sit down and nothing came out and you wanted to walk away from it or did that always just feel natural for you? that, that that (laughs)
1: That still happens a lot. Um, I, it's way al- more alarming in the beginning though. And it's way more uncomfortable for me when I first started. I mean, I've, I've been writing, um, full time now it'll be, it'll be 10 years in a couple months. So I'm just about at 10 years. And, you know, I had never, um, you know, I'd never written anything longer than 20 pages and that. And that was like a high school research paper where the margins had been, you know, fiddled with and whatever. Um, but I, I also don't recall a time when I'd ever written for more than maybe two hours at a time. And so to all of a sudden go from that to, to eight to ten hours every single day, um, I mean, that's, you know, that's running a 5K and then going, well, I'm sure I can just run a marathon. I mean, right. that's it, it, it requires a certain um, development. I mean, for me to exercise my brain that way, to get accustomed to silence, um, you know, that, that sort of sustained silence like that all for me took time um, and, and I, I almost never walk away when I have just the I'm sitting here and there's nothing. I almost never walk away. And what and, and that doesn't mean I won't read, that doesn't mean I won't listen to music, that doesn't mean I won't lay on the floor for 10 minutes, um, but, but it means that I don't um, abandon my concentration on what I'm doing. It may mean I step away from my keyboard but it doesn't mean that I'm not still engaging um, the project in some, in some sort of way. Um, so I, I – and, and when I say you know writing 8 to 10 hours a day, I mean that as a combination of, of reading and writing. So for me, like in order to like have words fresh so that during this 10-hour, 8 to 10-hour window I have something to say, I have to continually feed my mind words. And so I read the thesaurus every day. I read certain books every day. Um, I I read right before I go to bed, even if it's just for like ten or fifteen minutes, so that when I wake up, I feel like I've kind of stocked my brain full of words, so that when I wake up, I, you know, maybe maybe this isn't true, maybe there's research that proves it. I don't know, but I feel like when I do that, there's just more words for me to pluck the following morning, and so all those all those rituals are pretty key for me. But getting myself to a point where I could engage that and engage this craft and this work for that uh, much time at once has taken, I mean, it took a long time for me to get there.
0: Um, what would you say, uh, Yeah, I, I love what you said as far as like it's like running a 5K. So when somebody is training for a while and they take three weeks off, it feels awful to start it back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that moment of uh, of working out and then taking a break and then trying to get back into it is usually the moment where people start quitting creative Mm -hmm. uh, adventures like this. Um, do you have any advice for those people to, to get back on the horse and just keep at it? Um,
1: I mean, I feel like that a lot. (laughs) Like even I, I, there's this unhealthy, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't label it. Maybe it's healthy. Maybe it's unhealthy. I dread vacations sometimes. Um, and and typically, when I dread them or I dread this element of them is when I'm in the middle of a project, because I know that when I come back, it's going to suddenly feel not only the crap but what I've been working on is going to feel very unfamiliar to me, and it's almost like I feel like in this dance we're doing to try to get completed, I'm going to be stepping on this thing's toes for multiple days before we kind of fall in sync again, so like this past weekend i was speaking at an event up in massachusetts friday saturday and sunday and so i had to i drove on friday i spoke friday night i spoke multiple times on saturday and then i spoke sunday morning and drove back which meant i didn't write at all on friday saturday and sunday i came back i was very tired so i actually took monday off so i had taken 4 days off from writing when i showed up on tuesday to write this project that I've been involved in, I didn't know what to do. Hmm. Like I didn't I, – I, I felt so um, disjointed from it emotionally, even from kind of the linguistic template that I have formed within it. I didn't feel like I had those words like at my beck and call. And so I sat there all day Tuesday, you know, getting frustrated, getting uh, angry, feeling discouraged, you know, asking those questions like, well, maybe – Maybe I had a good run and maybe it's just there's just nothing else there. or Maybe I should do something like that's the hard part is like for me in those times of frustrations or in those times of like having been out of it for a little while, the haunting questions of does this silence or does this um, difficulty suggest something about my ability? Like to me, that's like the often the crux of it is the fact that I sat here for eight hours and got nothing. Does that suggest a lack of talent? Does that suggest I shouldn't pursue this? Or, or is that just the way art works? Is that just the way we are as people? So I guess I say all of that to say for, for someone who, who is in that place of going, man, I, I feel disjointed from this, or I, I feel like the person who hasn't run a 5K in forever, or hasn't been practicing for three weeks and now I'm trying to get out there and do it again, that this is difficult and painful, I guess I would say, me too.
0: <laughs> that's good to hear. There's a uh, the, the law of inertia, uh, an object in motion stays in motion, wow, but if right. something stops that gets in the way, yeah. it, it's going to it's gonna come to a hard stop, so that's yeah. just, that's good stuff. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you said you you feel comfortable with the editing process of writing a book. Now, how do you feel when it comes time to promote? Um, what I've I've sensed in myself is I hate self-promoting my stuff. I want to do one Facebook post and that's it, and be done with yeah. it, and then move on to the next project. How have you dealt with that, or is do you find yeah. that comfortable?
1: Well, what for you? I mean, can you can you label and name the discomfort in that?
0: Wow, that's a good question. Uh, it feels it feels like it's just too much about myself. Like I don't want to keep posting stuff just about, Hey, look what I do. Hey, look what I do. Hey, look what I do. I don't, um, I don't, I don't take a lot of selfies. I don't do that. I want to focus the camera on somebody else. Like I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the attention if that would, uh, would try to label that discomfort a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel that way. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, although if i'm getting more specific it i mean it changes right like for me it depends on i mean i I don't, I don't know it's a very malleable feeling and it does change and so i would say some days i feel i i feel a genuine sense of i'm not comfortable with the attention or wanting to just direct people to me but then other times and i think this is a lot more than i probably care to admit it's not that I'm uncomfortable directing people to me. I'm uncomfortable um, with the idea that people don't, or I'm scared of the fact that people don't think their eyes being directed towards what I've done is worth their time. Hmm. And it's more a fear of rejection than it is an aversion to vanity. And and so I think the one is probably a little bit nobler part of me that I go, man, I just don't want it to be about me because that that's very like selfless and good. But the other one is just very insecure, and that's probably more often what it is for me. I mean, if I genuinely believed in my work and went, look, I think you're going to find immense value in this. I really think you will. Hmm. I think I would have way less difficulty doing it, but I think – so underneath that aversion to vanity, I think is something else that goes, I think deep down, um, I may not be sure this is worth anyone's time or at least – or at least I'm afraid they won't think it is.
0: That's accurate. I mean the subconscious of me is agreeing with you of like, yeah, that's that's probably what the underlying feeling is, is that I don't know if this is worth your time, but I did yeah. it. So I'll just do one Facebook <laughs> post, let you know I did it, and then I'll, yeah. I'll be gone. <laughs>
1: right. Oh, totally. Well and, and that's like but so that's like for me like the that's like the strange like I don't I don't know, waltz that I go back and forth through is yeah, I don't want to be self-promoting, but at the same time, I, I, I too often leverage that as an excuse um, when really there's something else going on that I need to deal with and that I need to address and, and that I need to investigate more within me, even apart from the the, the questions of, of promotion. You know, and, and I've, I, I, uh, I mean, I guess I, of, of course, I promote my work. I, I don't necessarily think I do it all that well. Um, and I have some, I have some people that, that aid me in that, but I don't, I don't think I do it particularly well. I don't, I don't find a lot of the, um, I don't, I I personally don't spend a lot of time in the social media world. Um, so, so it, it, that, that's probably part of my aversion to it too, promoting in that world is it's like, I'm not really there until I'm promoting. Mm -hmm. So then it, then it feels a little bit gross. Um, to me, um, but, but you know, at the same time, like, I think as, as artists, we, we get the privilege, and, and I use artists, I don't mean vocational artists, I mean anybody that makes something. I think we get the privilege of making something and then releasing it into the world. And to me, the selfish part is not that we would promote our work, it's that we wouldn't. Because then it's like we're making something and hoarding it. Hmm. And I go, man, like, what's, more, what's more self-serving? Is it to promote your work or is it to keep it to yourself? I mean if we were talking about food, we all know what the answer would be. If we're talking about water or clothing, we know what the answer would be. Um, Even if we were talking about, um, you know, medication or – there's a lot of things. Even if we went, wow, like think about – you know, I mean – and this is not to say we are are like some of these folks, but whether it was, you know, Shakespeare or – Star Wars or or whatever it is like that would really be a shame if those individuals had made them but then hadn't released it and so I have to go yes I think all those things are true I think self-promotion can be self-indulgent I think it can be very vain I also think it can be rooted in my insecurity and I also think that it can be way more selfish for me to not promote than to do it and somewhere in that tangled thing is like health, <laughs> like I said, I think i 'm probably on any number of those like unstable stones on a daily basis, but when I do it in a way that I feel good about, I think i'm really glad that I did um, but yeah i I find it more to be in, like writing it more of an art than a science,
0: yeah. Uh, speaking of promotion, so uh, let's talk about the marrow a little bit. Like, what led you down the path of doing a podcast?
1: Yeah, um, well, that's a good question. So, so the marrow—I mean, it's a—I mean, it is. It's a—it's a show. Just—I mean, I think the tagline is "conversations with creatives about who they are and why they make what they make." I've never—I've never done a, a podcast before. I don't listen to podcasts—not—not because not I, I don't like them, not because I think they're bad or something. That's just never a world that I've kind of investigated. Um, but, I, but I have a friend here uh, in New York that uh, owns a, a, uh, an entertainment company. And he had said, hey, like, if, if you were to do this, what would you want to do? And in part for selfish reasons that I love the idea of getting to just sit and dialogue with a lot of remarkable artists, um, primarily across New York City, but really all over the country, to me, that felt personally invigorating. Even if even if the audience didn't care at all, I was like, for me, that sounds inspiring. I think I'd learn a lot um, about life, about relationships, about love, about art, about craft, about me by being in that um, that space. And so, um, so so that was kind of the intriguing conversation for me. Um, and, and and again. To, to even back to kind of the conversation about writing, it's all about what are you trying to accomplish? And so for me in that space, I wanted to kind of invite a broader audience into conversation um, with artists and to get to hear from, like I said, a lot of phenomenal people about all the things you and I are talking about now, their process, their their successes, their failures. Why, why were they drawn to these things? What in their family life led them to these places? What do they still wrestle with? What do they think about? Um, what makes them come alive, what breaks their heart. Um, I I find that a lot of times um, amongst artists one thing I hear a common refrain is it feels like there's a lot of loneliness in the artist community. And while there is a sense of solidarity, it's like I feel this, I feel solidarity in this painter that I love that I've never met. You know, I feel solidarity in this author that I love to read, but I've never gotten to sit with her and ask her questions. And so I think I was drawn to the idea not only of learning about um, those subjects personally, but inviting the broader artist community into a conversation, even if they couldn't be there in person, at least they could maybe hear some, hopefully what turned out to be honest dialogue between artists, just the the beauty and the struggle of, of, you know, these things we're trying to do and wanting to do that, like I said, in an honest way. Where this wasn't just hey here's the three steps to this or hey yeah. here's how you're going to knock it out of the park too, not that, but just going let's like, let's forget that like let's just talk about what this is really like and and so I was drawn to that, and I think I like the idea of maybe offering that to other people,
0: yeah, I really like the style of it and the the regards that uh uh, it feels like a couch, couch conversation, and it's funny when some of the your guests will apologize for not really answering your question, but you want to go down those rabbit trails. Like, yeah. no, don't – this isn't an interview. We're just sitting here. We're talking, um, yeah. and I think that was when you um, – the uh, Missy Model was the yeah. uh, podcast I was listening to that really uh, was intriguing to me, the idea of being a social person versus a relational person. Um mm. Can you talk, kind of talk about that a little bit? Because yeah. uh, as an introvert, I really uh, resonated with the idea of I'm I'm very much a relational person. I might not want to go out and be sociable with you know 18 people, but yeah. I want to sit down and have these yeah. type of conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I, you know, you know, depending upon the the validity of any of these tests, whenever I take that introvert extrovert test, it's like. There's the far end E, and then there's the little flag where it's supposed to stop, and there's the far end I where the flag stops. And I, like, break the flag off yep. and go, go, like, 10 yep. notches farther. Same like, here. Like, <laughs> I, I typically would rather spend time with my dog or a book or, um, you know, a season of Seinfeld than any other human being. Um, but what, what I've learned is where that primarily applies is – is in the social environment and and I do draw a distinction between social and relational. I um I am not drawn to parties, I'm not drawn to group gatherings where I'm gonna have sixty conversations all lasting two minutes, all revolving around where are you from? What do you do? That sounds like fun. Did you see blank? Okay, now I mingle on. I don't find I, I'm not energized by that. But I am energized, inspired. Um, compelled challenged when I get to be relational which means I get to actually sit with someone and by the end I feel like I have a greater understanding of who that person really is and where simultaneously I've I've afforded them the opportunity to know the same thing about me Mm -hmm. so I you know I I connect I I savor the connections at a deep level that social um, environments don't necessarily provide but where a relational environment does. It's its why, um, you know, my with my friends, typically if I'm out with a friend, it's it's we're going to go to um, a cup of coffee, we're going to get breakfast, we're going to go to a bar and, and have a beer, but it's not going to be, hey, let's all go to, or let's do this event thing, uh, th- because, because to me it's harder to get to that place where I find value if that's kind of the social construct Versus the relational side, and so I, you know, I think that's a misnomer, and I think I, I at times feel m- misunderstood that way. Um, and people say, "Well, we know you don't like people," and it's like, right. "No, it's it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't like people. It's just that I like an environment where I can get past persona and get to the actual person. And a lot of times, the social environment, you know, isn't isn't conducive to that."
0: I totally agree with you. And there's this also the uh, the other misnomer of. An introvert person is a shy person, um, so they automatically <laughs> assume like you're scared of people. It's like no, that that has nothing to do with that. I would yeah. much rather sit down with you for an hour yeah. than yeah, right. talk to you for two seconds about sports or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: right, right, yeah, exactly. And now, now I do get social. I get social anxiety. I get anxiety about the. Oh, we're gonna go to this group dinner. We're all gonna sit there and we're gonna look at each other and people are gonna be telling jokes and you got you gotta be kind of center of attention dynamic like that, that does freak me out. But, but you're right. I would never, I would never self identify as shy. Yeah. Um, I would, I would be, I'm typically more than willing if I sit down with someone to go, so, you know, tell me about you. And I mean, even, even on the marrow, um, you know, all the, the vast majority of the, the guests we had in season one, you know, they most of them I'd never met prior to the interview. And so they come in, and we sit down. And we shake hands ten minutes before, and then we go into the booth, and then we're talking about things that are, that are, you know, for a lot of people fairly personal, or, uh, you know, maybe even private. But I'm comfortable dialoguing in that way. Um, so it's not shyness. Um, I just tend to get uncomfortable when I feel like I can't be a person, and when I feel like I'm not surrounded by. People, but where we're all kind of being this photoshopped version of ourselves in this social environment, I don't. I just don't resonate as much.
0: I found it an extreme handicap that I don't watch sports, so I don't have that one social. You know, uh, I don't know. It's it's leverage when you're just meeting somebody. You can quickly talk about sports and (laughs) conversation at that kind of like very surface level. They talk about sports with me. I just kind of stare blankly, like, "Oh boy, I'm in trouble." <laughs>
1: <laughs> glaze, just glaze yeah, over. Yeah, my my wife tells me that I am I am a treasure trove of useless knowledge, and she's completely she's completely right. But it does help in those environments to go. Oh yeah, we could talk about you know the Harvard rowing team, or yeah, we could talk about you know this baseball player from 1960, or oh yeah, let's talk about some of Picasso's early work, or yeah, let's talk about politics. Like it does serve me well. Although one of my one of my favorite things to do in those environments is, and this is a total sham, so I'll say that up front, but it is, it is interesting, you can pull it off, is, is I'll, I'll be at a, in a group environment and I'll say, I'll look at somebody and I'll go, I'll bet you $1,000 I can guess who you are when you play Mario Kart. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of go through this like very, very, you know, faux... Uh, psychoanalysis of a person and typically typically people are one of two characters anyway so immediately like you've got pretty good odds of guessing it, and if you guess it then it's fascinating for an hour after like no seriously how'd you do that
0: (laughs) all right so we've 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 talked for an hour yeah (laughs) what i play mario kart a lot with my wife (laughs) who am i (laughs) All right
1: well let's see hmm I mean, you, you sit with your shoulders slumped a little bit. Like, you don't have, like, really upright posture. So I can tell and I can rule out immediately Bowser and Kong. I can rule them out immediately. Um, i write down my answer, by the way. <laughs> you're going to write it down? Okay. All right, so I can, I can immediately rule out Bowser and Kong. Um, because of some of the insecurities that you mentioned that, that I share, uh, I, I feel like you would have an aversion to being the princess. So I'm going to rule her out, too. Okay. So that leaves us with... What Mario, Luigi, toad. Uh, Yoshi, Toad, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Well, you're wearing a red shirt today. There's leads on it, so you tend to. It seems like you want to have this real connectivity to nature, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna rule out Luigi right now because Luigi seems too far removed from the beaten path of life. So I'm gonna remove him. So right now, so we're down to Mario, Yoshi, and Toad. This is amazing. <laughs> Isn't it so fun to do? <laughs> you seem—I I, think—I mean—you're—you're you're an it's introvert, but you have this artistic inclination, and so I think that you would fear that people label you as normal. I think probably one of your greatest fears is that people wouldn't see you as special, hmm. and so I think that would probably keep you from wanting to be Mario, since he's the norm. So I'm going to roll Mario out too. So now we're down to Yoshi and Toad. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, okay. So see now I have a 50% chance. I've 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 whittled it all the way down, and so it's it's got to be either Yoshi or Toad. And this is where it gets really tricky because those two are really tough. And I could, I see I see shadows of. <laughs>
0: I can't even take some of the language. I hope seriously. this is your next book, by the way.
1: Yeah. How to get someone's Mario Kart character. <laughs> yeah. It gets a little weird though because I feel like I'm like reading like reading someone's palm, right. you know? but I do see shadows of, of both of them in you. Now, when I think about Yoshi, I think of someone who's fantastical. I, I think of someone who is just this really exuberant spirit. When I think of someone like Toad, I think of someone who's been underestimated his whole life. I think of someone who's been told he can't accomplish or do whatever he wants, but he does it anyway. And so I think I think if I were to weigh between those two, I think I would rule out Yoshi and say you're always Toad. I hate
0: you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. Straight up there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So your new podcast is called uh, <laughs> Josh and Mario. I don't know what you would call that. Yeah, that's wow. freakish, man. That's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, that's the big
1: takeaway. That's the big... And when I say I'm writing eight to ten hours a day, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> I'm just going through person after person I know, just through the phone book, aligning them with Mario Kart characters. You've got this
0: beautiful mind thing that's sitting up on your uh, your wall with the you know the strings aligned on each <laughs> side. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, awesome. that's true. <laughs> well, I won't take too much more of your time. Uh, real quick, if you just briefly, briefly tell us um, maybe when to expect the next book.
1: Yeah, uh, I am. I am uh, almost done. And you know as a writer that, that that's a term that can mean you just started or that you're legitimately almost done. I am legitimately almost done. I am uh, – let's see, we're at the tail end of the fifth draft. I don't yet know release date. I can tell you, though, it's a novel. Um, I can tell you it's about a character who experiences uh, life, that their internal life is very overwhelming for them. And so a lot of the a lot of the book – there's multiple narrators, but a lot of the book is – is from the perspective of this particular character. And again, back to this simulating for the reader, a lot of the book, the way it's constructed in the language is meant to simulate for someone what's it like to be in the overwhelming heart and mind of this particular character. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I've um, been writing it for three and a half years. Hmm. So almost, almost done, um, but extremely proud of it. I mean, I, I definitely have some things that, that me and um, the kind of people who, who – uh, who helped me, you know, we still have to iron out, but I, I think it's going to be pretty remarkable when it's all done. Like I can't wait for it to be finished. Um, but so the timeline isn't set yet, but like I said, uh, fictional novel.
0: Awesome. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this today. That was fun. And you got deep in my brain with Toad. So I'll be thinking about that all day.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, Jason. It's so, it's so good to you. Thanks so much for, uh, for reaching out. And thanks for all your encouragement and for, um, you know, supporting my work. I mean, it means it means a whole lot to me. So thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. All right. You have a great day, man.
1: Right. You too, man. Bye.
0: The music you heard on this podcast was the science class, which was a project I was lucky enough to be a part of with my wife, friends, Randy Johnson, Jared Kalber, and Jeff Harris at Mad Sam Studios. This podcast was recorded at the beautiful Mad Sam Studios in Perrysburg, Ohio.